snap this out and everybody's gonna love it but also it's kind of cool doing that like putting yourself like david lee roth like what he did before <laughs> he came on stage that what, what that he do? Uh, he'd jump up and like do like that leg split thing oh, in the yeah, air yeah, yeah. and just like something about that confidence walking up on stage he could have been nervous but he just does that power move and he's in it you know yeah so I did that, but it's before you all got here. So maybe I need to did do it, it too early. Yeah, yeah, closer. You're to gonna you. need more slack in your headphones. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah I don't think you're gonna be able yeah. to get there with it. Now you can probably do one. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, everybody, welcome back to the Almost Home Podcast. I am your host Jared Stonequist, and today I am joined by three veterans of the podcast. To my left, we have Kyle Wright. Hey, thanks for listening today. Happy to be here. And to his immediate forward, we have Scott Hutchinson. Yes, I am very, very glad to be here today. And to his left, and my forward of me is everybody's favorite, Gage Lechner. Please don't say that, but hey everybody, <laughs> very excited to be here, especially with these awesome, awesome men, and let's get ready to rock. I'm going to actually have to see the numbers on that, though. <laughs> on the... Yeah, everybody's favorite. favorite. Yeah, I'd have to see the numbers. Well, I, I keep getting this one from S&G Services that says, hey, Gage is my favorite. Oh. And it's the only message I get, so I just assume. And he told his he told his employees, like, your raises yeah. will be based on how many times you <laughs> thumbs up the podcast yep. that I that I did. It's oh. the fan page. I'll, I'll find the owner of it and tell them. Um, the owner of it's your wife. She's like, just, Gage is great, isn't he? I think it's probably still me. <laughs> All right. Well, we were kind of talking before getting recorded, before starting the recording, um, just some of the topics we want to talk about. I think to get into our first topic, I'm going to tell a short story. Um, if you last listened last week, you know that I went to a car show slash bike show in a prison where we got to um, pray with, talk to, um, just disciple to, however you want to put it, to uh, some inmates of this prison. And when I was in there, uh, one person stuck out to me as I, I kind of knew knew of him, knew who he was, not on a personal level, just because he was in the news a lot and the things he did. And it was hard for me to wrap my mind around the idea that this man could get forgiveness and be in heaven at some point, potentially. Um, and I, then I felt guilty for even thinking that... that Because when I seen him, I, I felt angry towards him. I felt a hatred towards him. And we shouldn't do that. That's, you know, um, you should love your neighbor as you love yourself. And, you know, let he with who is without sin cast the first stone... So you shouldn't feel these ways, but it's it's hard thing to wrap your mind around the idea that some of these people can do heinous crimes, and if they truly believe and love in their heart, not just on paper or not just as a show, if they truly believe and love that they can and will be forgiven of their sins and uh, can be in heaven. So... What's uh? Where's everyone else's kind of minds on on that? I've talked to you each individually before, so. I think one thing is, uh, we do have to remember that God is just, and since God is just, He will judge everyone accordingly. Um, 
And I think that part of it can be a surrender, knowing that there will be justice. There will be justice. You know, on that uh, on that final day when Jesus comes back and everything uh, is made right there, there will be justice. Um, and that's part of knowing that I'm not God. He is God. He's great at being God. And um, there can be uh, maybe some type of either surrender or acceptance of uh, God's, you know, sovereignty and God's, you know, omnipotence and, and uh, just letting God be God, if that makes sense. I know that sounds cliche uh, a little bit, but I think that um, the only way to have any peace in some instances to, is to let God be God. I mean, you just look at, you know, even Luke chapter 15 uh, about the parable of the prodigal son. And, you know, it, it kind of, you know, dives into a little bit of detail of uh, the other brother um, who stayed with his dad, you know, uses inheritance to, you know, work, you know, for him and manage, you know, his, his properties, you know, his animals, his livestock, all that stuff. And then, you know, compared to his other son who decided to take his inheritance and run off and, you know, be a hooligan and everything else. And how, at, you know, his brother who stayed, whenever he saw his dad, you know, greet his son, just as God would, you know, greet any of us who have, you know, turned our backs on him and try to do things our own way. Um, but still, you know, expected him to come back, and he did, and he was so excited and um, to be able to greet his son and, and to love on him again and everything. And the other son's like, why aren't we throwing a party for me? You know, I've stayed here. You're like, you know, I've, you know, haven't taken advantage of you or anything. Like, how how are you showing him, you know, show much attention and everything else? And I, don't know, I just look at it in the way of, like, we tend to, I don't know, like, I guess with the whole prisoner and everything, um, take those crimes and, and what they did and everything, and we don't want to forgive them. And we're like, how is, you know, God, you know, able to forgive? And how is he going to be in the same heaven as me and everything? When in all reality, it's like, we just don't understand it. You know, we don't understand grace. We don't understand, you know, what mercy looks like. Um, and what true unfailing love looks like. Um, it's still hard for me to wrap my head around. I think it comes down to like a, an idea of like godly forgiveness versus societal forgiveness. Society teaches us that uh, not necessarily sins in society, but wrongs have a weighted value to them. And some wrongs are worse than other wrongs, and some things seem unforgivable. Um, whereas when you look at it from the godly side, it's there is no sin that's greater than another sin. A sin, a sin is sin. That's all there is to it. And when you talk about the idea of um, you know looking at this guy that's in prison and saying, you know, how 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 is he going to be for what he did? How is he going to be in the same heaven as me? And I think going to my own situation. That's something I struggled with, which is why I you know, went to church for, I feel like, five or six years before I got baptized, because I constantly questioned my worth. Like, am I really worthy of salvation? I mean, I didn't do anything to end up in prison, but I did bad things. And so I look at it and think, well, you know, if, if this prisoner might not be worthy of being in the same heaven as me, 
Am I actually worthy to be in the same heaven as Pastor Curtis? Am I worthy to be in the same heaven as Dennis Kickler? Like, am I worthy of that? Because, you know, even though we've all done bad things, they've led far more righteous lives in the last 30, 35, 40 years, where I've only been doing it for five or six years. And that society that teaches you that, that you're not worthy because you did something wrong and uh, you weren't perfect the entire time. 100%. I want to point to a verse that I think is very succinct but powerful and one that's just great to remember. It's in the Old Testament, it's Micah 6, 8, and it says, What does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. There's an apparent contradiction in that verse because it says to do justly and to love mercy. Justice and mercy, you you don't realize the contradiction at first, but then the more you think about that verse, justice and mercy don't always sync up and flow perfectly together. But I think the key to this apparent contradiction is at the last end of the verse where it says to walk humbly with your God. So our job is to do justly. So when it is in our hands, we... We are, we are just. We, we seek justice, and that is a good thing. We love mercy. When we see mercy extended towards someone else, we should love that. We should love when mercy is extended. Now, most people don't. That's actually the hardest part of this verse. Most people do not love when mercy is extended. Uh, most people think that's not fair, but we should do justly. We should love mercy. And then the key to all of it is to walk humbly with your God, which is that Trusting God, that obedience with God, and uh, knowing that, you know, as we walk with God, He He changes the way that you think, um, and He, you know, He always blesses obedience, um, and you know, He just gives you the Holy Spirit to lead you and give you wisdom and knowledge and all that you need. That's good. See, and I go back to my point. You know, do I belong in the same heaven as Kyle? You know, when when when, when Gage and I and I like to throw him under the bus, but when Gage and I can just say, you know, this is what we're feeling. This is how we think. And then Kyle's like, well, hold on, guys. Let me, uh, and then and he jumps in there and it's like, I, 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 why am I even talking? <laughs> yeah, well, while Scott brought up the whole baptism thing, I mean, I was a youth pastor for a year before I got baptized. Towards like a meet, yeah, I know. Because of, for one, shame. Nobody checked your credentials. Nobody did. I bl- which, <laughs> hey, Scott, I blame this one on Kyle. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Maybe we do belong. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> All right. Good. 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 No. Everything. See, everything is just. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but please get baptized. Yes. Definitely a, a life-changing experience and a true, I mean, obviously your salvation and baptism, totally different things. Um, salvation, I mean, that's between you and God. I mean, that's you recognizing that you need a Savior and... Um, it's you surrendering your your life, your entire life, a hundred percent of everything, you know, to Him, um, and then from there, Holy Spirit fills you up, and I mean, true transformation takes place in your heart. You're no longer the old you, you know, you are now a new creation. Um, but when it comes to being baptized, um, that's you showing. I mean, Romans one sixteen, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, you know, and that is you telling everybody, you know, of your decision. Um, and for me, uh, suffering with a lot of pride and everything else like that, and I felt like I was already in too deep towards like, man, if I get baptized now, it's like everybody's like, oh my gosh, he was pastoring my children. Like, why, <laughs> why is he just not being baptized? And then finally got to the point where I just swallowed the pride and, and did it and super thankful that I did it. But it was hard. What is, 
what is required to baptize somebody? Water and yeah, I mean, obviously water, the yeah. person in the water. Yeah, that's but a willing as, participant. As someone who is who's going to baptize someone else, when you baptize someone, is there something that you have to know, have to do, or if you are a believer, is anyone that's a believer they can baptize someone, or how's that work? No, I think anyone that's a believer can can baptize uh, another believer. Uh, you look at the story of I believe it's Philip and the Ethiopian uh, in Acts. Uh, he comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus, and he's yeah. He even asks the question, "What's preventing me from being baptized? Like, why can't I be baptized right now?" Um, and he gets baptized right then. Um, and so it's uh, obviously something that Jesus instituted, um, and it's such a. I think the reason why it's such a powerful ordinance for us is because of the visual. We're visual creatures, um, and it's just that that powerful visual of new life, and uh, there's something very you know significant and spiritual about it. I mean, I could care less about Siri. I'm going to start calling Kyle. I mean, whenever <laughs> we have a question, he's on it already. Kyle does know his stuff. That's yeah. true. So on the, on the subject of baptism, uh, if I'm remembering right, John the Baptist, he baptized Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that I guess that kind of shows that you don't have to be a ranking member of something if, if Jesus can be baptized by someone else because he's kind of the top dog when it comes to Christianity. Well, I think he said he'll, he'll baptize you in water and I'll baptize you in fire. I pick water. That's deep. Yeah. yeah that's, <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't, I don't fully take credit for it, but I know uh, on Sunday we had 12 baptisms that were signed up, and then towards the end of the pool party we had a young lady show up uh, to get baptized, and I think uh, Pastor Curtis kind of hollered out to get everybody's attention to, hey, get to the edge of the pool, we got something going on. And I, it was one of those like proud son moments almost, because when he, he said, hey, everybody, and he kind of looked over at me, and he goes, he was like, give me a little, you know, hey, wink. He's like, good job, Scott. I don't want to take credit for them showing up unsigned up for baptisms, but apparently pastor was like, this is on you, man. Good job. How'd you get him there? With my words. Okay. It happened. <laughs> like, you just texted him, like, hey, you're missing out on this. No. You didn't show up. Or... No, well, I, I said in the host segment, oh, you I don't you. have to be signed up. Like, just show up. I got gotcha. get there. Okay. Now yeah. And I almost I almost convinced a, uh, another guy to do it, but he was like, uh, maybe if he goes, you start showing up for Wednesday mornings for Family Guy, is it the next bapti- baptism? So I'll, I'll get baptized. And I was like, okay, oh. deal, deal. And then and then Wednesday he didn't show up for Wednesday morning, and I took a picture while while somebody was talking. <laughs> and, yeah. And I said it to I go evidence that I was here. It's your you're donut with the sprinkles on a frowny face. Yeah, you're you're not there. I yeah. am. <laughs> he goes, man, my bad. I went to sleep. Forgot to set my alarm. It's the oldest excuse in the book. Yeah, I've used it. Yeah. Sometimes it's been true, even. <laughs> <laughs> not know who you're talking about now. Yeah. You need to work on him. Shout out. <laughs> Shout out to that guy. Yeah, we'll leave him nameless for now. <laughs> We'll tag him on the post so everybody can message him on, on social media. Yes, if you want to know who the mystery man is, you will have to go to the notes for the podcast. you got to get out there and look for it. Do some searching. All right. So a couple other things we wanted to talk about. 
I don't know where where this came from, where I got this. Probably on a, listening to another podcast, and now I'm just stealing their content. But um, being meek versus weak, a weak man versus meek, and because Jesus was seen by some as weak, am I right? Um, but he's far from it. Like he went into that uh, temple and flipped all the tables and stuff like that. And tables back then, it wasn't like it was a flimsy little card table. These things were heavy. You know, he went kind of throwing his weight around in a place like that. But the meek I, meek, I wrote down the definition as being powerful without taking action. So I wanted to kind of touch on the, the difference of being meek and a, a versus weak and being a Christian man like what your um, I guess your responsibilities are as showing your that you are a Christian and the, the way you live your life does that make sense what I'm getting at so who wants to go first there Scott good good yeah I'll, I'll, oh I raised my hand I'm sorry I didn't yeah. mean to um what I Kind of back to my previous answer when we were talking about the other stuff, it, it all comes down to society. And society seems to want to define men as a certain way. When you look at TV shows or movies or something or action figures, it's always big, muscular men. And if you're not one of them, then you are weak. You're, 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 not, you're nothing. Whereas when you have the word in you, you can be meek. It's easy. You're, you're powerful. You have the knowledge. You know the direction that you want your life to go. Um, and then when you come down to somebody wronging you or doing something against you, you can be meek because they're powerful, but I don't need to take action against you because it's not my job to judge. It's not my job to do these things. I'm, I'm just going to continue loving you and hope that you will, will, will go the direction that, that you think your life should go, but ultimately your life should actually go. Um, but society just, you know, especially in the last, what, four or five years has really, has really developed men to be weak. Um, really kind of, I don't say it, really kind of neutered men in a sense because you can't, you can't be a man. You can't be a God-fearing man. You've got to, I think they, the popular term is, it's called like simping where you just kind of bow down to the thoughts of everyone else. And when men don't simp, it's them standing up for what they believe in and not saying that, yeah, you know, all this stuff's going on and I'm not going to have an opinion. Because if I have an opinion, you're going to call me, you're going to call me some name for having an opinion, whether it be a, a phobe of some point or the dreaded R word. You know, it's, it's just, it's going to happen. So when you talk about meek versus weak, it's, it really kind of just comes to standing up for what you believe in, but you don't have to do it in a, in a negative or antagonistic manner. You can be who you are, believe in what you believe without trying to offend people. Yeah. I mean, it's all the, you know, like, truth versus grace and, like, how you approach, like, an argument or whatever it may be. And I had to learn within my own, you know, relationship with my wife. And I'm a fixer to where, you know, at some points, like, she didn't want anything to be, like, fixed right then and there. You know, she just wanted grace right there you know, comfort, all other stuff. For me, it's, it was all truth. And then I felt like, or if it was like an argument where it was fighting over who was right and who was wrong, like I would be 100% truthful and then she'd start crying 
and it's like, oh man, like I totally won this argument, but why do I still feel bad? Like, I mean, I should be getting the trophy right now, but coming to figure out like it's a hundred percent truth and a hundred percent grace and only Jesus, like, I feel like truly mastered that. Um, but it's something I truly pray for each and every day of being able to have that. And, um, yeah, but the whole, you know, meekness is strong, you know, that's strength, especially for guys, like being able to, for, you know, like we were talking about earlier, forgive, like forgiveness is something that people are like, oh, you're just being weak, you know, like for, you know, just having mercy and, you know, showing, you know, I guess in a sense, you know, pity and uh, being sensitive to us, you know, a certain person or a certain matter. Um, people look like that as weakness, but it's like, dude, you ask any of those guys, like they wouldn't do that, you know, because they're, they care too much about the pride, their insecurities and everything. And that's a weakness. That's a huge weakness is, you know, like, you know, the whole, uh, oh gosh, I'm looking for the word here. Somebody, Scott, help me out. Um, the, uh, egregious. No, uh, it's, it's the, the story, uh, of, um, the gosh, um, You're to walking down, walking down the street, and they see you know somebody who's hurt. Um, and Samaritan. yeah, my boy. See, he's Siri, man. Kyle nice. is now Siri. I love it. Uh, but yeah, like you know, the story of the Good Samaritan, and uh, everybody, you know, even you know the rabbi, you know, just kept walking right past him. You know, nobody, you know, even gave him you know any attention or anything else like that. And it took the Good Samaritan, you know, which everybody would completely avoid going around Samaria, you know, because nobody wanted to go, you know, go through there, um, helping out that, you know, that person in need. And it's like, that's the thing of it. Like, that right there is strength. So, I I mean, meekness is strength. So, Kyle, somewhere in Scripture it says, uh, I should have looked this up ahead of time, something about that we should turn the other cheek. What am I talking about there? What am I... I think you, you, I think you need to say, "Hey, Kyle." Hey, Kyle. Hey, Kyle. When when that's brought up, when people say, "Well, uh, as a Christian, you're supposed to turn the other cheek." Call it me. Call it me. Kyle. Because well, <laughs> <laughs> I know. I think. I think it was in the Sermon on the Mount, um, but I, I, the whole point of the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus will frustrate you, and they will bring you to a place where you will throw up your hands and you will say, I can't do it. That doesn't mean that Jesus wasn't being literal. Jesus was being literal and that you should turn the other cheek. And what he was saying is, if you are in that instance and you turn the other cheek, the world will see that and they will say, that's something different. I've never seen anyone with that resolve that inner strength before you know you look you can look at examples of history whether it be african americans in our country or the people of india under you know gandhi's leadership and civil disobedience that's what civil disobedience was civil disobedience was turning the other cheek and you know it was uh, uh, obviously a method of nonviolent resistance that you know brought about significant change in people's hearts as well as in the law of the land well, in, in saying that, the, that he says, turn the other cheek, Scripture can be used, you know, the same person can use Scripture, or two different people use the same Scripture to get the opposite points. Uh, 
Because Jesus also, I believe it was on the Mount of Olives when he tells the disciples to, if they don't have a sword, to go buy one when, when he's being arrested and taken. So there's turn the other cheek, but then there's also like, you need to be armed and be ready because, you know, sometimes as a man, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, you got to fight. You got to stand up for what's right as well. Mm-hmm. So people like to pick and choose what to, what they want to use out of scripture. Um, to fit their own narrative and I think looking at everything as a whole you see that there's a time and a place for different things and basically being meek means I can turn the other cheek if if you're saying something bad about me talking bad you know whatever it may be but then if if you're doing something where my you're putting my family at risk then that goes out the window, mm-hmm. you know. So there's a difference in meek versus weak. If you're weak, well, then you can do whatever you want because I can't do anything about it. There are some paradoxes um, that, as a Jesus follower, you have to lean into. For example, Jesus described himself. He said, "I am gentle and lowly." That's Jesus in his own words in Matthew eleven thirty, describing himself. He said, "I am gentle and lowly." Jesus. Asked the disciples one time, who do people say that I am? What are they saying about me? And people said, well, some people say you're Elijah. Well, if you know anything about Elijah, Elijah was outspoken. Elijah was brash. Elijah was fiery, literally. And so we think of it. If people were describing Jesus as this is like Elijah, then I think Jesus was maybe not as gentle and lowly, you know, as, as he described himself, you know, because, he, you know, you got to have some... Uh, you, know, you know, some courage, you know, some chutzpah, if, you're, if your people are calling you uh, Elijah. And I think it's that paradox that, yes, we see Jesus gentle and lowly playing with the kids with a lamb over his shoulders, you know, but it's also the same Jesus that was calling out the Pharisees straight to their face, that was throwing the tables, you know, in the, in the, in the temple because they were exploiting the poor. Um, it was both. Scott, you had something a little bit ago. Well, you had talked about that scripture, and I thought it, I thought of referencing that, you know, if, some, if somebody slaps you in the face, you turn and offer them the other cheek and say, hey, I mean, here, here's this side, do you want it? But I was, I, I was watching something, Kyle, you can help me out with this. Um, kind of goes along the lines of, of, you know, twisting the scripture or, or how you want, where they say the original, you know, the original interpretation of thou shalt not kill um, is actually thou shalt not murder. Um, and people like to use the scripture against us, saying, "Well, you can't have you can't have uh, capital punishment because you're you're killing someone." And the Bible says that as a Christian, you can't believe in killing. And this guy was talking about the original translation actually was, "Thou shalt not murder." And murder is the unjust taking of a life. So the Bible never said anything about you shall not kill. It said you shall not murder. And then that, that helped, people, but people use that against Christians saying you can't believe in certain things because the Bible tells you you can't kill. It's like, no, the Bible says we can't murder. There's a difference. And that kind of goes with you, like you're threatening my family. It's like, well, you, that wasn't fair, Jared. You shouldn't have shot that intruder. It's like, because you can't kill people. It's like, you're right, I didn't kill them. Well, I mean, you look at Moses and you look at David and you look at Paul. I mean, all people who have murdered and yeah. murdered, not killed, murdered. 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 Um, look how they were used. So, I mean, that kind of goes back to the whole forgiveness thing. Yeah. You know? You don't know what God's going to change in their hearts. You know, it, 
truly believe in, you know, Second Corinthians five seventeen. I mean, they are, you know, if they do become saved and there's a true transformation that takes place, they are a new creation. Once again, it's hard for our minds to wrap, you know, around that. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, and I, I don't know any statistics on this or anything, but wonder how many people in prison who try to portray that they've changed and all that just to get parole and everything, just to get out and go back to their old ways living in the world and how many do make those changes in prison only to get out and go back to their old ways, go back to the world just because it's from what from what I was told talking to other people while we were up there, um, it's it's easy to be a Christian in prison. It's easy to change your ways and read the Bible and all that stuff. But then when you get back out on the street, it's a whole different ballgame. Like, you may have found God in there, but you get out back on the block and you're around uh, the same people doing the same things you were before. It's not easy to maintain. And that's where it comes to, you know, kind of manning up again. and Community. Yeah. Getting plugged into a church. Putting yourself, you know, in those accountability groups. Because, um, yeah, if you just go back to that same group, even thinking, you know, whenever I, I was, you know, first saved you know, by Dennis, and I was still trying to hang out, you know, with, with my old boys and everything, and I'd always say, all right, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to drink this time, I'm going to stay away from it, and then start with, oh, well, maybe if I have one beer, um, they would loosen up to me, and it would, you know, promote, you know, the opportunity to talk into, you know, talk to them about, you know, something spiritual, and it just was a complete opposite, you know, it just, I was like a dog to its own vomit, I'd just go back to it, and... That's why it's so important for those guys to get plugged in immediately, you know, after, you know, being set free, to get plugged in immediately. Because if not, if you just go back to the old boys and no matter how plugged in you were there and what you saw God do in your own life and everything, you're going to fall back into sin. I mean, we can't do it alone. There's just, there's no way. Well, maybe I'm naive to this, but... um... So is that like an actual thing? Like when you're in prison for something, if you can you say that you are now a Christian, and you can get paroled for that, or is uh, that just? I mean, what's the litmus test on that, Kyle? Like, hey, come in and we're gonna. I don't hmm, think it's just quiz saying, you on the Bible. I mean, if if you if you make <laughs> I got Philippians four thirteen tattooed on me. <laughs> oh yeah, I know a guy that has one too, and he said that uh, he actually had Philippines <laughs> yeah. tattooed on him. And it was it was scripture that he really that he really lived his life by. <laughs> Philippines twelve twenty eight. It was like Philippines, huh? All right, yeah, cool. Love it. No yeah. regrets. No yeah, no regrets. <laughs> not, not even one little pronunciation, huh? <laughs> no, but. Um, like making the changes, the necessary changes for you're in prison, looking looking towards parole. Right. You know, if if you know everything you do, all your actions are going to have an effect on your next parole hearing. Uh, it's definitely not going to hurt if you say, "Hey, I've been going to the I, I lead Bible studies. I've been going to the services that are offered. I uh, I talk to the people who come to do prison ministry. That sort of stuff." Right. You know, some people will walk the walk. Or, or talk the talk, but not be able to walk the walk. They won't right. be able to leave. And I know there's others. Um, I learned a lot last weekend up there. There's so many that were up there as um, going up to disciple to others that had been in those shoes before. A guy that I've known for a couple of years now through a Bible study. I had no idea. He'd done 18 years off and on, you know, in different stints in prison. Um, and that's where I kind of, the conversation came about how hard it is to, get out of prison like man if I can do it in here 
you know, if I can make changes and then while I'm in prison, but then they go back and move back to the same place they came from, right? it's not near as easy. And like you said, oh, I can have one or two, and, you know, whether it's drinks or, or whatever you're smoking or snorting or whatever you're doing, then, yeah, it's it's very easy to fall back into your old ways and go back down that path. I mean, Dennis talked about that a lot in his, that mm-hmm. when he talked about having the party at his house and his buddy then told him, don't you ever come to that with me. That was that was pretty uh, eye-opening because it's like, man, like I know for me, cussing has always been an issue. So now I and I, try, I try to cuss. I try not to cuss near as much as I, I know I don't cuss near as much as I used to, but still if something slips, the conviction I get and stuff, because I don't want... Which that's good. Everything, you know, everybody says, oh, well, he says he's a Christian, but I heard him cussing and doing this and doing that. And, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to portray that you're a Christian and everything when you're still doing Mm -hmm. those other things. We going on the next topic then? Let's do it. I mean, I just like to think of the words that Jesus used, because he was a carpenter, and so am I. And a lot of times I slam my finger with a hammer or which he didn't have a drill back then but like he probably he was so strong he probably you know the way he used a screwdriver probably faster than my <laughs> drill but screw slipping off going through your finger what words he said what do you think he said I don't know I want to know that's the first thing I'm asking when we get to heaven well Jesus is perfect right so would he even have a reason to say those words He'd tell the screw he loves the screw, and he forgets the screw. Well, at the same time, if he's perfect, then he never missed the right. to begin with. Yeah. You're right. So, yeah, so. <laughs> But this world is broken and evil. I mean, I'm just saying. I yeah. Now, I would like to think that he was he was the guy that was like, <laughs> nail, one hit, suck it, just suck it, suck it. If or maybe right. just commanded the nails in, like, get in. <laughs> get in the way. Go. It's cheating. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, a lot of good stuff here. Yeah, Kyle, Kyle, Kyle <laughs> right now is going. Bases. What did I get into? Yeah, like, like I thought I was going for like this Christian men's roundtable discussion, and we got comedy. These guys belong <laughs> in preschool. A, yeah. very, a very poor comedy. Hour. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so something we've talked about uh, in the past, and not on here, but I know you've you've given uh, service. Uh, sermons about it is tithing. This is a touchy one. Everybody's now tuning off. Yeah, yeah, there went all Great. listeners. There's yeah. the Christians asking for money. Yeah. yeah. Um, tithing is seen as something too many people walk in and just say, or they hear it at a church service or whatever. They're like, well, all they're ever doing is asking for money. All they're ever doing is asking for money. And it's just simply not true. I know. Kyle, you stood up at one point in a service and said, we don't need your money. But the money goes to all these other places that that you talked about. When people tithe to the church, it's not for the church. I mean, a a portion of it is, but the tithing is for you. Um, It's something that the only thing from what I've read, the only time where Jesus or God actually challenges you to try and match him. You're not going to happen. You can't outgive God. But he tries to say, like, try it. Try and keep up. You know, it's a challenge towards him. Uh, But giving 10% 
is the traditional for tithing. Um, so let's let's talk on that some. And Kyle, I think you're going to be the resident uh, expert here again on where all does the tithing go and where in Scripture does it talk about uh, or does it tell us exactly what, what tithing is to the people who think all we're doing is just paying for your dad to get a 25-year-old new truck. <laughs> <laughs> so if you have ever heard my dad speak or have you been coming to the church for very long, uh, you know, you can probably tell that my dad hates talking about money. Um, and it's because he grew up in an era where there was some, like, televangelists that, you know, manipulated people into giving money, um, and he just, he hates talking about money. Now, he knows that as a pastor, to shepherd people, to lead people, to be disciples, you have to talk about money. Jesus, if you look at the red words, Jesus' words, about 25% of them are Jesus talking about money. So it clearly is a discipleship issue. That's the way Jesus approached it. Um, Jesus talked very little about tithing. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus said, yes, you should tithe. But Jesus didn't really make it about tithing. Um, Tithing is an Old Testament law that Jesus affirmed. I mean, if Jesus wanted to throw out tithing, he could have, but he didn't. You know, it's an Old Testament law, and again, Jesus said in his very own words, "Yes, you should tithe." Uh, however, if you look at the interactions that Jesus had with people, uh, look at Zacchaeus, for example. Uh, you know, the wee little man who climbed the tree. After his interaction with Jesus, he didn't say, I, "I'm." I'm uh, Jesus, you, you changed my heart, you changed my life, I love you, I'm going to start giving 10%. You know what he said? He said, I'm going to pay back four times. He said, I'm going to give 400%. And so, it's not about, okay, it's this obligation of, all right, I got, uh, I guess, you know, 10%, you know, because I need to check the box and be a good Christian. Um, it's, 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 it's not about that at all. Um, it's about, do you trust God? Do you trust him? Um, and I think if you, if you invite Jesus into that conversation and and you allow Jesus to be Lord, not just over, uh, your, your decisions and your habits and your peace of mind, but Lord over your money and Lord over your finances, um, he's going to lead you to be a generous person. Um, we know that when we are generous, we are more like our creator who is generous and you just don't find generous people who say, gosh, I wish, wish I would have kept that money. You know, I know it went to make a difference, but I just, I wish I would have kept it. You know, I could have, could have bought a couple more things. Could have bought, you know, it's like, no, like generous people, they know the impact that, that their money has. Um, and they know that money is a tool, you know, ultimately God talked about when one of the main teachings of Jesus was that we are stewards of our money, meaning it's not really ours. Um, it all comes from God, and we get to decide where it goes. We, we manage it. We are managers of it. We are stewards of it. Uh, but it, it all comes uh, from God. You know, if I asked Scott if I could borrow his truck, and then I just acted like it was my truck. He's like, no, you, you, you can't have it back. Uh, it's, it's mine now. That's what it's like when you just assume that all the money that comes to you is for you. 
Like, that's literally the definition of greed. If you think that every dollar that is in your bank account is for you, that is the definition of greed. We think greed is, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, Floyd Mayweather, right, who has all of this money and he's flaunting his money and he's flaunting his wealth. Okay, that is greed, but that's an opulent, extreme example of greed. Greed is just, if you whatever you have, if you think every single dollar is for you, that's greed because there's no room um, to give back. There's no room to help. And time and time and time and time again, you look at God's people, God's message to his people is clear. You should use what you have to help others, period. You should use what you have to help others. That was always near the heart of God. And the people that were not doing that, Jesus always had a problem with. Scott, give us, a, give us some examples, if you can. How did, how did tithing change just your, I don't want to say change your life, or maybe it did change your life, change your uh, faith or any changes you got, I guess, through tithing? Well, I mean, you know, kind of to, to preface it that, I mean, when I, when I started going to church, it was one of those tithing, tithing, tithing. And I, I saw it from the, <clears throat> from the world side, which was, man, what, why do they want my money? You know, why, why, why do they want my money? Why do they need my money? What are they going to do with my money? And we talk about being a steward of it. You know, when you're a steward of it and you hand your money over, you can't worry about where it goes. You just have to have trust and faith that it's going to be used appropriately. And when I got married, Michelle was very, very strict on it. We are going to tithe. And <clears throat> when we get paid, I mean, it's, it's literally like we see the paychecks auto-deposited. Auto, uh, and the very next line item is family church. I mean, it's it's immediate. And I, th- I think Pastor really kind of talked about this the other day, and it really hit home, and that was we financially support the things that we believe in. You know, I I frequent restaurants that I like. Shout out I Brandon go- Iron. What? I said shout out Brandon Iron. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, go Brandon Iron. And Nagoya and Smoke Creations <laughs> and Las Pequinas. Um but we go to those places because we like what they have and we believe in it. We want to support them, hot off the press, whatever it may be. And, and I always find it a little bit funny that people who may or may not go to church worry about how much money a church has. Because when you go to the branding iron, you don't sit there and enjoy your meal and pay for it and then go, yeah, I bet the owner of this place has too much money. You know they don't they don't worry about those things because if they have if they have enough money and they're doing well financially, it's because the product they have people want, and so I go to church and I want to support my church financially and my church's endeavors, whether it be missions trips, food pantry, you know whatever they do with the money, they're they are doing something that I believe in, because if they were out, I don't know. Pastor Curtis was taking her money and going to a casino. Be like, well, I don't, I don't support that decision. But they're doing things with my money. Therefore, I will continue to financially support it because it's the things I believe in too. But I think we talk about tithing and what it's allowed me to do is I, I don't consider myself the most uh, generous person in the world. But I do try to be very generous with my truck. If Kyle needed to borrow my truck in a heartbeat, yeah, sure, Kyle, here's the keys. Take it. You know, well, I'll get gas in it. We'll take care of it. I loan out tools. I, I mean, I do everything I can to be generous. But by tithing, that's allowed me to be generous without having my hands on the generosity. I just get to turn the keys over and say, hey, go, go do something good. 
and and that and that's kind of a freeing feeling, um, knowing that. So when you you go to places like you said, the Branding Iron and uh, Smoke Creations, these places, you go back to these uh, these restaurants because there's something there you'd like, yeah. and you have no <clears throat> problem. If these places were overpriced, if you could get, if right next to Branding Iron was another restaurant and it had the same product, just wasn't quite as good, and it was half the price. I'd still be good. I'd still, still be, be going, going to the Brandon Iron. Iron. Right. You know? And you're happy to pay that. Sure. Yeah, that's what it is. That's what it is tithing when you're going to your church. And when you're, for us, it happens to be family church. We got no problem doing it. No. Because you're getting, I don't want to say a product, because God's faith or, or your faith in God is not a you know, it's not a product, but... But you are getting a return on your investment. And as a, as a steward, you should see... You, you, you deserve a return on your investment. We don't always see it. I say you should see it. You don't always. Sometimes you see it in a baptism, and you can see with your eyes, wow, I'm, I'm supporting the church, and, and look, at, look at what's happening through the ministry of the church. 13 lives changed, and you see it so clearly. Other times it's, you know, halfway across the world. Other times it's families in the community that are getting fed. Other times it's all the time people will approach the church and they'll need an electric bill paid that they just can't pay. The church will take care of it. If your neighbor came to you and they genuinely could not make it to the end of the month and you had the means, you would. Every person listening to this, you would help out your neighbor. Well, the church does that all the time and people don't even hear about it. People don't even know about it, but that's uh, that's what the church is. The church is a light in the community, and, and regularly people approach the church in such a tight spot, um, and, and and the church helps them out. And, and that's only because people give to the church, because people give to the church, and it is their sharing, it's their generosity that allows people in our community to, when they're in their lowest moments, to, to have a little support, to have a little extra um, you know, help along the way. And, and, and we need that. We need that as people. We Bottom line, we just we just do, and and if any one of us here in this room are listening at our darkest moment, at our if we if you know we have a a, a time where we're down and out, guess what? We would be there for each other, and the church would be there for us too, to uh, to help us out and, and give us a support along the way. Yeah, to I me, mean, you never know when a neighbor might need like half a mason jar full of ice, <laughs> which actually happened. <laughs> <laughs> I needed some ice. Yeah, I needed some ice. I said, "How much?" The whole jar, and he goes, "No, just about this much." It was about two inches, like just, 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 just seven ice cubes. You, like, well, you really are generous. I, I am. You know what? Yeah, me ice as two ice, I guess. <laughs> so, Gage, tell us what what can be done. What do you think? How can we help take the negative uh, stigma away from tithing? Kyle. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, I mean, yeah, you know, we, we all get tight about it. Like whenever we know we're say we just invited, you know, somebody to come to church and it's their first time and poor, you know, Pastor Curtis has to, you know, preach about tithing that one day. And, you, you know, I'll never forget the tightness of my stomach. I was like, oh, no, of course. The one time out of the year that, you know, he'll preach about it, you know, they're in here. But he always does a really good job of... Um, Using it in a way to where, I mean, tithing, it's truly just a condi- the condition of your heart and where your heart's at. Um, God wants all of you, like not just, you know, 98% of you, not 99% of you, not 99.999% of you. He wants every percent of you. 
And whenever it comes to money, it's talked about so much in the Bible. I mean, it's the root of all evil. I mean, look at it, the world and where it's at, the media, everything. It's all about money. It's all about power to where God knew all this all along, which is why it's in his word. Of It shows like where your heart's at whenever it comes to something that the world portrays as everything. I mean, you look at all these multi-million dollar deals, all these athletes or, you know, the neighbor just got a new deck or a new boat or whatever. Everybody wants more money so they can get that kind of stuff. Being able to give it, I mean, that's the condition of your heart, where your heart's at. And knowing that Kyle already said it, like, it's God's money. You know, he's blessed us with that. How are we going to manage it? And we got to manage it according to what he has said and how his son Jesus was. I mean totally selfless and what can I do you know obviously you're called to fill your cup first which is your wife and your kids you know like your your household but everything else any overflow like give like it's just there's no better feeling than that and I don't know yeah just biggest thing is if you have a problem with even hearing the word tithing and you get tense about it or um where you know wherever your heart's at on it i mean yeah just check yourself first i mean because obviously there, there's a stigma in there that um you, you know you need to work on it. i had to work on it you know everybody does but the moment you just release that and recognize why god has called us to do that i mean gosh i mean that's where freedom's at too so it was really hard to follow these two on what they said about it. <laughs> I, I knew i was hoping you were to like call on me to talk about the, the second subject we were talking about but whenever you said to elaborate more on tithing yeah i'm happy the holy spirit intervened because i was like i am screwed (laughs) (laughs) let me uh let me jump in here to kind of parlay off of what he said when you talk about tithing um and i think this probably helped me the most was i don't focus on it it's it's a byproduct to me if you get in deep in your church and you really are compassionate about men's groups and podcasts and you really get invested emotionally in your church it's a lot easier to get invested financially with your church as well so when you think about it, it's like yeah i'm just gonna yeah i go to church and uh i'm just i just give them money every month and that's all you do you show up at at 7 55 you walk into the sanctuary you sit down you clap your hands you sing you listen to kyle or pastor c and you walk out the door and every month that's all you do, then tithing could probably be a pretty bitter pill to swallow when you think about it. But if you are connected, if you are inserted in those things, then tithing just becomes a byproduct of the fact that, yeah, I'm part of this. I, sh- I, I feel like I should financially support this. So if we talk about the, the change the narrative on tithing or how it's viewed, it's like better off change the narrative on how you view church. Mm-hmm. And if you don't view church as something that's worthy of financially supporting, then there's there's something else going on there. It has nothing to do with money. It has to do with your relationship with God. It has to do with your relationship with the church, possibly, and getting connected to it. It's just like taxes. I mean, like, I have no, I mean, I understand. I mean, taxes are just, it's part of it, you know, but it makes me feel better. Like, I would rather, like, every year when it comes to taxes, like, writing a, a check for you know franklin county roads or you know the wellsville high school and elementary school and all that other jazz like i have no problem because i understand as a member of this community member of the county member of the state like 
yeah, you know, it just, that's what has happened. But the fact you don't know where the money goes or whatever, that's where, like, the stigma is of, uh, like, taxes. But, like, with our church, I feel like we do a really good job of showing where the money's going. And, like, that, like, makes it, I, I don't know, like, feel better. And the fact that, you know, yeah, if Pastor C, you know, pulls up in a Ferrari, which, granted, that dude deserves a Ferrari. He deserves it. He deserves it. You know, because he has driven, you know, like an old Ford Ranger, which, you know, he just sold sadly, but for, you know, 25 years, you know, like the, and I don't know, for me, it's like, it makes me feel so good, like knowing that, like, our church is going to do something awesome with this. And I mean, yeah, I don't know, like, that just makes it, you know, feel better to where, yeah, if you're going to a church where, you know, your pastor's wearing $800 shoes and a $700 Gucci jacket. And driving, you know, a Bugatti, yeah, like that would make me feel a little worse about tithing, I guess. Well, if he pulls no up, no shout Ferrari, outs there. It's got to have to be a Magnum PI Ferrari, because that's the only thing. Pastor would not look good in like a 2023. He needs like a Magnum PI Ferrari, like 1984 yeah. Ferrari. The lights full. Up. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah I can gosh. totally. I mean, go back to that picture of, of your dad and and your mom back in the day, and it was like Afro mustache. Yeah, Afro mustache, <laughs> and it was like, dude, that that screams 1984 Ferrari. Yeah, get him up. We need to start know, that GoFundMe. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, you know, we're, you know, we're at a good church. <laughs> Whenever we want some tight dollars to go to our pastor's car. <laughs> yeah. That's We're doing some right. We're That's doing some right. Yeah. So start tithing more, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, we've it. just covered you this. Know, it's not a bad Kyle, thing. Can you, can you, uh, Kyle, can you throw out the ways to tithe the family church for those who don't want to the family church? Like familychurch.xyz. <laughs> so, Scott, you mentioned something um, that kind of was a good parlay into the next topic. Uh, the other day at work, I was just kind of writing, just, you know, going through and I mean, I was doing my job just in case my boss is listening, but on my break I was writing and I kind of, I looked up statistics on how many high school athletes and I just picked baseball go on to college and it was something like under 10% uh, of high school athletes go play college baseball. And then it was way less than that, go from college to play professional, not triple A, single A, double A, but major league baseball. And those those percentages are super small. And that's just in baseball. It's even smaller. And if you're going to make money in wrestling, you got to be a super athlete. Football, any of these others, like, it's hard. But parents will spend lots and lots and lots and lots of time and money on their kids from eight years old or even younger some points all the way up till they're seniors in high school and even beyond that for these for these kids to pay or play these sports and do these things where the percentage of them going on and making a living doing these things is minute super super small um the the point i'm gonna wrap around to the point here in a second they spend all this time because they're they're concerned with their kids' future. They want their kids to study, they want them to do their homework, they do all this stuff. But the the future that they know they can change by taking your family to church, they don't spend as much time in that. It doesn't take near as much time or money or effort to get your family into church, to read the Bible, to... I mean, you can get an app, it'll remind you every morning, and you can read through a plan 
and you know read the Bible in a year or or whatever it is, it takes a lot less time and effort to do that. What is the problem? Why is it that we're so focused on the future of these kids to be athletes and everything, and not their future as in eternity, something they can control? Well, it's the here and now. You know, I mean that's that's the world view is here and now. I, I want my success now. I want my gratification now. I want my reward now. I don't want to work for something that I may not see for 75, 80 years. I want it now. You know, and as a parent of, of four children, um, one is out of the house, but currently three are still there, a sophomore, a seventh grader, and a sixth grader. You know, the sophomore plays competitive volleyball, plays high school sports. The seventh grader plays competitive volleyball, competitive softball. Sixth grader plays basketball, baseball, football. I mean, he plays everything. And we do we do chase them around a lot. And we are pretty, you know, we're pretty guarded at some of that stuff. We we try to keep it real. Like, listen, we're not we're not doing this year round. You know, you're going to have your opportunities. And that's really, I think, what it is. As parents, you want to try to provide your children opportunities that you may not have had. And at the same time, it's really fun to go watch them play. I mean, Kyle, you got kids that have done sports, and it's, it's, it's really gratifying, even if they're not the best. I mean, just one wrong kick by Nellie that happens to roll over that goal line, even if she realized she did it or not, you enjoy it probably more than she does. Um, but I think... As far as like the idea of we worry about, you know, why, why is it so much harder to implement a Bible study with your kids? I, th- I think it's just the world as a whole. It's not, it's not glamorous to grow up a Christian. It's not, you know, there's, there's, no, there's no multi-million dollar contracts out there even possibly waiting for you. Unless you're Joel Olstein or something. Those kind of contracts don't exist. Shout so, out. Shout out, Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> is that what you have to say when you say someone's name? Have to. Oh, you have to. Okay, I didn't. I didn't it's like a. Is that like a? Okay. You should listen to it's, the podcast. It happens quite often. It's like Tourette's. I don't. I can't control it. <laughs> oh, okay, good. So, well, I'll just, what's your podcast? Uh, I don't know. I say shout out. Um, but it's just there's nothing like that out there. So when you think about the reward from being a Christian, it's not a financial reward. It's not a monetary reward. Therefore, ninety nine point nine percent of the world doesn't care about it because we're chasing. Chasing that money, the fame, the fortune, the notoriety that, you know, they'll never attain, but they don't care if they'll never attain it. They're still going to chase it. That's good. Cal, being the father of four, what's the conversation like? I mean, they're they're still pretty young, so I don't know that your kids, I'm sure Baker's not talking about trying to be a professional football player at any point, but is it is it still too early? Have you had these conversations where... You need to focus looking upward to God over what your what your plans are for the future, being a doctor, being a, a professional athlete or whatever, or is it still pretty early for that still? I think it's pretty early. I, Scott was very well-spoken on this. I don't have a lot to add. One thing that Lauren and I have said that has been a guiding principle for us in our scheduling, in our activities, in our decision-making is... We have a saying, and it's no for now, but not forever. If you don't learn to say no, your family will go off the rails. It, it just will. You will end up where you are overextended, where you are stressed, where you are... You don't have any time for each other, and you're sitting there thinking, like, when was the last time we just sat down and got to be together? And, and you're like, oh, because 
we've just had too much going on. And so Lauren and I say no for now, not forever. And we say no to good things, but we have to say no to them in that season because it's not a good thing at that moment. So when you add the not forever, it just makes it easier to palette the no. Because sometimes saying no is really hard because it feels like a good opportunity. And in fact, this is another thing that's just good wisdom for anyone listening. If you ever hear yourself saying, this is a great opportunity, finish that sentence. This is a great opportunity for what? Like, what's it a great opportunity for? If it's just a great opportunity for you to get noticed, and it's just like, maybe there might be some selfish ambition there that's worth digging into. So whenever you hear, this is a great opportunity, just finish the sentence. What is it a great opportunity for? But in our own life, we just have had to learn to say no for now, but not forever. Whether it's a hobby for me, whether it's an activity for Lauren, whether it's an activity for the kids. And when you do that, you're protecting your family in a way that your family needs to be protected. Um, Because you will, you will overextend yourself. And we know that what we're commanded to do, we're commanded to love our wives, um, and we're commanded to raise uh, our our, our kids. to do that, you have to have boundaries. We live in a world that says no limits. No, God says it is good to know the limits. David said that boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. You need to embrace your limits and say, you know what? It's good to have limits. It's good to know when to say enough is enough. It's good to say we're gonna stop. We're not gonna go, go, go today. We're not gonna go, go, go in this season. And that is okay. Yeah. Gage? Oh, man. What, uh, what kind of plans do you have for little Miss Brindley for keeping her from getting caught up in worldly things? And I know it's, it's hard to say because the world moves faster and faster and faster by the minute. And being that she's just a couple or what, a month old? Two months? Uh, yeah, two months. Two months old? Yeah. So who knows what the world's going to look like in that time. Yeah, so I'm like, I'm the opposite, Kyle. I've already got her watching a lot of golf videos and everything, and I'm, no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, it's just because, I mean, for those who have heard my testimony already, you know, I was definitely, you know, forced, you know, to be good like at the things that, you know, my dad wanted me to be good at. I didn't really have a choice. You know, I wanted to to take guitar class my freshman year as an elective and I was forced to take both PE and weights which was still fine but it's like man I kind of really want to take you know guitar as one of the electives uh so with my kids it's like one of those things where um I think it's healthy to um find out like what you are good at like what are some of the gifts that God has given you and you know to pursue them you know you know I think it's healthy because if you just kind of get in a routine where Ah, you know, they, they can do whatever they want. You know, they're just going to play video games that do, you know, nothing and and probably, you know, get into, you know, trouble or whatever it may be. But I think it's good to find something that they like and enjoy and fully support them in that. But it's like that's whether they win, they lose, whatever it may be, just, like, make it fun, you know, because whenever you're a kid, that's what things should be. You know, they should be fun. Sports should be fun. It shouldn't be like, oh, wow, like, you know, I'm getting paid to do this or, you know, this is my job or whatever it may be. It's like, no. I remember when I was on a baseball team, a tournament team, and if we got caught on the pool, you know, at the pool on a game day, keep in mind we're like ten years old. If we got caught at the pool, oh my gosh, you would be running like nonstop. And I remember I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like this is stressful. Like I know, like I don't have you know 
a guy, you know, from the Chicago Cubs, you know, scouting me or anything. I sucked, you know. <laughs> and I was really good at wiffle ball, but no, not good at baseball. And I don't know, like, just find something, you know, whether it's piano, whether, you know, it's golf or, re- you know, I'm not going to force them into wrestling, but if they do, by all means, I'm going to make make it fun for you and everything. And say, you know, they come up to me whenever they're there in high school and, like, you know, they want to take it more serious, then, yeah, you know, I'm going to, you know, help them and hold them accountable to it and everything just so that they can meet what they, you know, want to, you know, aspire to do. But, yeah, just find something that, you know, you want to do and, if you want to be a nurse, if you want to be a baker, whatever she wants to be, like, I'm going to love her, especially my little girl. Like, it's like softened me up completely to where I just want her, you know, to have, you know, an you know, amazing, prosperous life. But my biggest thing is I want her to love Jesus with all her heart, you know, all her mind, all her soul. Um, and for her, you know, 50 years from now to find a man who, you know, will, you know, Ex, you know, glorify God and all that He does, and treat her the way God has called Him to do. So, it's gonna be really weird. Their daughter at age fifty is gonna marry a twenty-year-old. I agree, dude. It's so weird. Uh, I mean, love is love, though. Yeah. Is love. I hate. I don't want to call my own daughter a cougar, so don't even put those <laughs> on me. <laughs> what are you? What are you gonna do when that? When your daughter does get to that age where she decides she's gonna play basketball, though? I'm gonna support her. I, I honestly, dude, I would, all my buddies in high school were basketball players. And to where it's like now, it's like, I mean, to where I would always, in the, you know, in the driveway and everything, you know, I would always want to play it and, and stuff. Like, you know, it's fun. And yeah, I mean, if now, whenever, you know, if I, God does bless me with the sun, it will be a hard pill to swallow. But however, I'm going to support him, you know, that's just the way that it is. As long, you know, as he's having fun and, you know, like, in a way, because it's healthy to, you know, aspire to, like, practice and to get better, you know, that kind of thing. Absolutely, you know. It, you know, Spud Webb was only 5'6". Yeah. So. Mosey Bogues was 5'3". Exactly. And yeah. they were both really athletic. Yeah. yeah. Take that to the that's, bank. That's yeah. true. <laughs> Very special, phenomenal. You never know, man. There could be some recessed genes in the... The Osborne side of things, Brindley could be like six eight, I, like carrying no. you, around, <laughs> like carrying you around at age sixteen. Like, come on, Dad, come on, Mom, putting each on a hip, and you don't know this. I mean, this guy with Dr Pepper, man. Yeah, <laughs> Cal's fishing over there. What, We're uh, really losing track. Man. Well, I, I got that written down next. Uh, what else? What What do you guys? Anything you have on mind that you wanted to go over, discuss in the the world today or this Jason Aldean thing I don't listen to Jason Aldean but I've had so many people that you know I told like Ethan Dean was the, the, pretty much the only guy I was like dude you guys have to talk about what what's going on with this and I didn't know what if you guys have heard about it or, or anything but I think it's hard not to see it in the news or it's everywhere yeah, yeah. I haven't listened to the song I read the lyrics because I'm not I'm not a fan of that kind of quote-unquote country music anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I think it's just another thing where people are looking to be offended over something. They want to find anything that... <coughs> anything that can be offended over. And if it doesn't fit that that narrative, then then it's offensive. You know, and... I think it really... It, it, it symbolizes what we were talking about earlier with Scripture where people will take scripture 
and kind of pervert it and spin it to their narrative. Because I, I, I heard this on the radio the other morning and then the, the, the DJ played the song. And when the song was over, I was like, well, I mean, Jason Aldean, shout out. I'll probably never <laughs> see him, but really terrible song. I mean, it, it just, I was listening to it and it was like, not, not terrible from the message, but it just, I couldn't get into the rhythm of the song and just, it, there was no hook. Yeah. So when the song was over, I was like, okay, what, you know, whatever. I mean, I, w- I wouldn't be buying that album to listen to that. But at the same time, the idea of it was small towns are rooted in looking after each other. Mm-hmm. They're rooted in, I care about my neighbor. I know all of my neighbors. I've got their back and I will help them out when necessary. And then people took that message of try that in a small town. And instead of taking it for what it actually meant, they took it as, oh, a bunch of white people in small towns are racist and they're going to shoot you if you try anything. And they, they spun the narrative of the song and what it actually stood for to fit what they needed it to say to be offended. As opposed to just saying, oh, he's saying small towns are rooted in looking after your neighbor. So try that in a small town. Find out what happens to you, basically, because we will protect our own. We look after each other. And it was just immediately went to, you know, right-winging, gun-toting. and But again, they did that because it needed to mean that in order to fit their narrative to be offended at the song. Well, I think if, if you take the words small town, try that in a small town, take small town out and just say a uh, tight-knit community. Because it, it could be in the largest cities, New York, uh, L.A., Chicago, wherever, mm-hmm. and just say a tight community where the people, where there is a sense of community, and it's going to be the same thing. But because they try to make it, it's, for one, it's quote-unquote country music. Um, I don't think it's country, but that's here nor there. Uh they, they try to make it a, a black and white thing um, just so it fits that narrative and I'm just getting real getting real tired of all that like if if we could stop dividing things by it, more than black and white it's it's red and blue everything's got to be divided into the far left and the far right there's no room for the middle anymore which is where the vast majority of Americans live it's right there in the middle where it's like, I don't, I'm not completely left, I'm not completely right, I'm right in the middle. You know, I, I lean one way for this, I lean one way for that, but our media and our government does its best to keep us divided, mm-hmm. and I think this song, it's just, if it wasn't this song, it'd be something else right now. It's, mm-hmm. it didn't, it wasn't like everything was perfect, and then this song came it, out. It, it would have been this podcast. Probably. Yeah, so we're lucky. Thank you, Jason Aldean. Shut up. I don't know, like, politics and just everything, all that stuff, just because it's like there's nothing, I mean, it's everything against what Jesus would want. Jesus wanted to unify. Everything else is completely opposite. I'd rather get pepper sprayed than listen to somebody talk about to me about politics. I'm serious. Like, it's one of those things where, like, I will, I will literally just, that's one time where I will just, like, say, hey, let's just, you know, stop, stop this here. Like, I'm not going to sit here and pain my face with having a smile and saying, I can only say so many yeahs and wows, you know? Like, I just don't want to talk about it. Because, I don't know, it's just, all of it's evil. I mean, yeah, I'm just completely against it, I guess. And 
That's why social media is just unbearable to even be on. That's why I think I'm not really even on it. I'm only on it for funny videos that you and I send each other constantly, and that's about it. <laughs> I, just, I just wonder if, if we ever get to a point where we, as a society, the four of us and everybody, we get to the point where we we spend our days and our available time we have, the limited amount of time, and we focus on the things that that we care about. How much energy does it take to constantly be thinking about things that upset you? Things that you don't agree with? Things that make you miserable? I mean, shout out to me. I don't have Facebook or any social media whatsoever, so I don't deal with any of this on a daily basis. The only thing I get is when talking to people or listening to the radio, I don't even have cable TV. But if you focused on, if everybody everybody just focused on some good things, some things they thought were nice and, and puppies and kittens and flowers and weren't actively spending so much time worrying about the things they, that make them mad, where would we be as, as, a, as a society? Where would we be as a, a race of humans if we were all just not so worried about spending so much energy on things that don't matter? We'd be in heaven. Uh, but still be in, I'm still be here. Yeah. <laughs> I hope. Yeah. Maybe. But I was saying the world's broken place. Sin's going to find its way into everything in, you know, in this world. I mean, that's why it's so important to, you know, invite the Holy Spirit into you, you know, to not feed your flesh. And like I said, I mean, yeah, not having social media or not using it in a way to, like, look for, you know, what whatever you're hungry for um, is so important. Because, yeah, if you just go outside... And just talk to those, you know, that are around you. Like, I don't care if you're, you know, homosexual, black, purple, red, you know, yellow, whatever. It's like, dude, like, I'm going to be a nice guy to you, you know, and they're going to be nice to me and everything. And it's like, it's one of those things where, yeah, the world's a lot better place when you just do that. You know what I mean? Society tries to tell us, though, that we can't live that way, that we shouldn't live that way. Society's trying to divide us constantly yeah. you know someone Wednesday morning someone asked uh, when if the world was ever at a time when when everything was like good when there wasn't conflict and stuff and I know Kyle said yeah before Cain so that tells you how long you had to go back before there wasn't some sort of conflict and now with social media and with the the state of politics and everything else that's just uh there, it's so far from unity that it's, it's impossible to see how it could ever be back that way. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else anyone else wants to go over? Wants to chat about? Wants to bring up? Shout out to anybody? I mean, shout out to uh, Laidback Barbecue. That's where I was at before this. That's why I was a little late. They hey, we uh, they need to be a paid sponsor before we start giving them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I did get shout a couple Ethan. jars of salsa. Oh, that's true. So everybody did. did. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. shout yeah. out Layback Barbecue. Yeah. Yeah. Very good salsa. Yeah, I would yeah. like to yeah. shout out to Michelle, my beautiful wife, who is at home right now, so that I can I can be here doing this. Scott just stared me down the whole entire time. <laughs> he said that. <laughs> Pretty intimidating. Just saying. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. It's been fun. Thank you all for being here. I really appreciate it, and I enjoyed it. Uh, Thank you for listening to the Almost Home Podcast. You can find us on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Facebook, 
and Instagram at almosthome.podcast. So until next week, I love you all. God bless, and we'll see you next time.